Hi, and welcome to Communicating Climate Change, a podcast dedicated to helping you do exactly that. I'm Dickon, and I'll be your host as we dig deep into the best practices and the worst offences, always looking for ways to help you and me improve our abilities to engage, empower, and ultimately activate audiences on climate-related issues. This episode features a conversation with Marcus Ryman, Director of Research Centre and Cultural Ecosystem, TBA21 Academy. It was recorded in September 2022. The organisation, TBA21 Academy, which Marcus co-founded back in 2011, fosters interdisciplinary dialogue and exchange surrounding the most urgent ecological, social and economic issues facing the ocean today. In his role, Marcus leads the nonprofit's engagement with artists, activists, scientists and policymakers all across the globe, catalyzing new commissions, bodies of knowledge and policies that advance the conservation and protection of the ocean. He also serves as chair of Alligator Head Foundation, the scientific partner of TBA21 Academy, which maintains the East Portland Fish Sanctuary and oversees a marine wet laboratory in Jamaica. Marcus has presented on art and the oceans at conferences all around the world and represents TBA21 Academy in the Mission Healthy Oceans Board as an officially endorsed member of UNESCO's Decade of Ocean Science and as an observer at the International Seabed Authority. Our discussion weaves through the many and varied ways that art can respond to the climate crisis, how it can serve as a bridge between the public and an array of knowledge systems, including but not limited to science, and, amongst other things, what sets art apart as a means to connect with an audience. So, without any further ado, let's dive in. This is Communicating Climate Change with Marcus Ryman. Hey, Marcus. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thanks. Very well. Very glad to, uh, glad to have you here. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you very much. I should give some background to how I know about TBA21, maybe. That might be interesting. I, yes, um, I used to run uh, a radio show about field recordings and uh-huh. ambient music. And mm-hmm. so I know about you through Jana Winderen. Fantastic. Yeah. She's the best. I have found many of the things that you guys have been, I suppose, facilitating, very inspiring mm. for a very long time. I'm pretty pumped to be talking to you, to you about this. Yeah, you're um, absolutely welcome. And thank you for, for saying that. So the first one is very broad. Mm-hmm. And that's how, in, in your eyes, um, mm-hmm. can communication contribute to mitigating the worst effects of climate change in the first place? Well, I think communication is key in this sense, no, um, for a number of obvious reasons. One, raising awareness and and kind of uh, on a very basic educational literacy level, no. I think I think in that sense, communication is key, but not only uh, in terms of um, raising awareness and the understanding of the challenge, but also in actually communicating the sacrifices that we will have to make to get to the point where actually life on this planet becomes sustainable, right? And, uh, and I think in that sense, communication to bridge this, um, uh, this ever apparent knowledge action gap that we're, that we're perceiving right now, right? Uh, on all levels, right? It's not just between science and civil societies, but it's, it's mainly between science and decision makers. Uh, and I think um, that's where communication becomes uh, increasingly important. Um, in, in terms of science or scientific knowledge and civil society, that's obviously where kind of critical mass and, and, and civic will can be generated to demand actions and political actions 
that are that uh, need to go beyond incremental changes. If we kind of narrow in a little bit, what sets art apart from other modes of communication when we're trying to communicate on this topic? So I, I would not put art into the bracket of communication. No, it's very difficult to say the art. It's easier to speak about artists. Uh, and um, something that I've that I've uh, kind of witnessed over the past couple of years is that more and more um, scientific organizations, scientists as individuals, but also kind of NGO sector uh, and and now also the European Commission turns more and more to the arts to say, okay, we need help in communicating this. Um, as I said, I'm not necessarily sure that art is a is the best communication tool. For that, I think art has a different role to play and has a different way of um, of engaging with audiences. And I think, uh, at least for the artists that we um, work with, right, it's not so much about uh, kind of illustrating the challenges, uh, but it's really embracing the complexities and the entanglements, right, that that uh, this hyper object of climate crisis uh, comes with, right. It's it's uh, tremendously difficult and I think because it's so overwhelmingly um, in anxiety inducing, uh, people um, very often lose um, somehow the capacity to understand their agency in this struggle. I think on the other hand, uh, also a result of uh, industrialization, globalization uh, and so on is um, that our capacity to imagine the future that we want to live in um, becomes increasingly difficult, right? Um, and uh, all of these converging crises that, we are, that we're currently living through, uh, economic, environmental, social, political, all of them, right? Uh, crisis of democracy, uh, lead to um, this, this overwhelming feeling of helplessness. Um, I think in that sense, Artists have a super important role to play in this in this struggle because they can actually imagine the worlds that we want to live in, and they can unearth uh, kind of streams and ideas, theories that are not yet the mainstream. No, this is what artists are always looking for: the new uh, in terms of our contemporary life, and they can make the invisible visible. So I think that's one of the roles of artists that we gravitate towards. I think, on the other hand, um, the the challenge of uh, contemporary communication is always the reduction of complex issues to a headline, to a punchline, and so on. And um, and the crises that we're facing, it's very difficult to reduce them to a single thing. And I think it also kind of implies that there might be silver bullet solutions out there that uh, we just need to find and then it's all fixed, right? And I don't think that this is necessarily the case. I think we have fundamental challenges that uh, that have been built and cultivated over um, decades, if not millennia. And one of the major challenges, obviously, in the Western world is, is consumption. So I think the potential of working with artists is obviously... That they that they embrace complexity rather than reduce complexity, um, and um, the the way that audiences then can engage with these uh, complex issues is through exhibitions, installations, 
uh, that become tools or portals for certain experiences, right? And um, and I think that is the that's the major uh, difference between uh, artworks and communication because they provide experiences that uh, communication doesn't necessarily provide. So I think the information that is embedded in exhibitions and in artworks are as well on an intellectual, emotional, and physical level, no? because you really step into these exhibition spaces um, and so on. So that's, a, that's the one thing of working with artists. Leading an organization of cultural producers, our responsibility is also to respond as an organization to the information that the artists actually bring to us, right? So very often we see these fantastic exhibition and exhibition spaces that really address the topics of the climate crisis or climate catastrophe in, in fantastic ways. Uh, and then we have a very uh, precise wall text um, that, uh, that nearly the language starts mimicking um, academic language because there's a, there's a kind of idea of precision and specificity in language. But then we turn around and we look at the uh, bookshop and the lights just burn for 24 hours. Right? So I think there's a huge gap between um, the, the topics and concerns that are very often exhibited and the way that organizations act on these topics. And for us within TVA 21 Academy, it was always the question from the beginning, how can we actually build an organizational structure that can systemically respond to the information that we're brought to by artists? And therefore, um, it has always been uh, really important for us that art is not the only medium that we work through, right? Even though all of the um, research and all of the uh, in investigations that we lead are led by artists and artistic curiosity, they're also always meant to be collaboratively. So they're based within scientific knowledge or under other knowledge systems, indigenous knowledge systems, uh, local expert knowledge, and so on. Um, but we, we want to reserve the right that art is one avenue that we go down. Policy interventions is another one. Educational programs might be uh, the next one. And we even have gone as far as initiating um, conservation projects. And uh, for one specific one, we're actually still very closely involved with the conservation project in Jamaica that is um, run by a sister organization, which was spun out by the Academy. Uh, and is now running it locally, which we then reconnect to our work through an artisan residency program, right? So the, the, for us, the question was always, how do we intervene in this challenge, in this process? How do we contribute in this process on a more kind of systemic and embedded way, uh, rather than only saying, okay, we're making an exhibition that might raise awareness? Obviously, this happens within the arts because critique is such a... Yeah a part of that world. I mean, we'll come to a question about mm. what, what others can learn from the arts, but perhaps that <laughs> yeah. in itself, being self-reflective and critical in that way could be valuable to other kinds of organizations. Absolutely. No, I completely, I completely agree. I think that the, the challenge is obviously, um, and this is, this is very much speaking from a Western position, no? uh, um, but, but the challenge is, that very often that um, our organizational structures are not necessarily set up to be responsive so, so quickly and systemically responsive to the concerns and the ever accelerating changes that we're facing, right? Uh, so diversity, inclusivity, 
accessibility, sustainability, or regenerativeness, right? All of these questions that are now that are now being um, addressed on uh, on various different levels are very difficult to systemically incorporate in your operation. I think the opportunity, the possibilities that we have as cultural producers in a space where our visitors, our community, and our audiences actually expect to be moved, they expect to be disrupted, they expect to encounter something that is surprising, inspiring, moving, is that also organizationally we can build prototypes of organizations that actually act responsibly in front of the backdrop of the climate catastrophe. As our conversation moved on, I wanted to get Marcus's take on what he considered to be the biggest challenges of bridging the gap between science and art. I think it's language. A lot of the time in this uh, collaboration between artists and scientists, legal experts, environmentalists, and indigenous uh, knowledge systems or knowledge holders, there's a necessity to translate. Uh, even though we all use the same words, they have very, very different meanings, no? And sustainability is one of them. Um, and the meaning of that word, right? This is something that um, that the critical aspect of the arts can, can investigate, uh, right? The meaning of the word sustainability, if we are in a catastrophe, is sustainability the highest goal that we want to aim for? Because do we want to stay in the catastrophe or do we actually need to think about regeneration, remediation, um, and all of these things. So I think um, that is a big challenge. I think um, very often what I've experienced with uh, with scientists is that they've been jaded by their now mandate to communicate and reach out and all of these kind of things. So they have been somehow burned that their life's work that is dedicated to specific questions and topics and concerns is then reduced to a headline and so on. So, so there, there has been a huge hesitation uh, in the beginning to engage with artists, no? or how do I engage with artists without my work being co-opted or without my work being reduced to, uh, to something that is really not representative of, of the complexity of it. And then obviously a kind of means of operating. It's science and uh, the, the academic complex if not to say the uh, academic industrial complex, no, has has forged a way of validating knowledge that is very um, exclusionary. Yet it demands to be the truth. It is a truth, and uh, obviously this this is not me saying that we have to question the science. No, no, we have to believe the science. But the processes around science—that's something that we need to question in terms of accessibility, diversity, inclusivity, I think I think uh, academia has a long way to go, as does the art world in general. So so I think there is there is always this necessity uh, to create safe spaces for all of these different knowledge systems to engage. And especially when you talk um, with to um, and include marginalized communities, no, then it's, it's, it's uh, ever more important to create safe spaces full of care, uh, full of concern, to, to make sure that, um, that everyone around the table is being heard. Next, I wanted to hear what Marcus considered to be the key differences and perhaps even similarities or synergies between approaches taken by the likes of government 
and academia to tell stories about the climate crisis, and those taken by the art world. I think we need to define between artists and artistic practices, right? And and also, I think very often the question is who commissions them, right? What are they? What are these? Um, artists asked to do and and what are the objects that they produce or the installations that they produce what is the context in which they're shown so that's that's the one thing i think um, it goes back to to something that you mentioned before many of the artists that we work with are also critical thinkers right they're trained in critical theory or they they are very interested in critical theory and it is exactly that criticality that then reflects back onto whatever the policymaking bodies that they're, that they're investigating or, or the industry bodies that they're looking at, the extractive activities that they're investigating and so on. And so, again, we're, we're going back to the question of complexity, right? Um, and, and I think that is, um, that is not only something that sets uh, artists and artistic practices aside, but it's also something that can help us think through the different layers of of complexity and entanglements, no, and and so I think in this way of um, the arts reflecting back on contemporary life and contemporary issues and contemporary urgencies, I think in this reflection there is the possibility of learning. Very often there are consequences of actions that have never been. Um, kind of investigated or thought through. And I think that's where kind of the role of the artists lies, no? that, they, that uh, they can sound out these, um, these consequences and they can think through these consequences and make these consequences visible in a way that, that other disciplines don't want to make them visible. No? And, and they can uh, provide a phys- physical and emotional experience that lets us actually have an experience in a space that is uh, that is far removed from the situation that they investigate but you know they bring it to us and they didn't bring it to us in a different way than um let's say documentaries or or reports or communication brings it to us i think one of the difficulties that we're experiencing nowadays is uh, is that we're so saturated with images one of the really staggering um statistics uh, I've read at some point was that the average Instagram user scrolls through the length of the Eiffel Tower every day. That's not a you know a judgment if this is right or wrong. It just means there is a, a an amount of images that hit our eyes every day, right? That it's very very difficult to uh, say this image is impactful and this image is not uh, impactful anymore, right? I think also when we when we think about um, the ocean and kind of uh, um, visuals that are created around the ocean, just take Blue Planet 2. I think it was one of the most successful in terms of viewership uh, TV products of the last decade, right? It's become a cultural uh, object that uh, Teresa May took uh, to on her state visit to China, right? So it's become a thing. It, become, it became a huge thing. But the images that are being produced, they just look spectacular. Right, and it needs a trained eye actually to say, "Wow, this reef is completely depleted," because for you know, for someone that sees these images for the first time, this looks abundant and 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 spectacular and healthy and so on. So, without a kind of literacy of decoding these images, it's really difficult to say, "Wow, something is wrong." No, except of if you see 
kind of plastic in the ocean or or the iconic image of of the straw coming out of the nose of the of a turtle they then communicate something completely differently you no know, they they communicate catastrophe and an overload of these catastrophic images also they they lead to apathy and and uh, disenfranchisement and so i think that's somehow that's something that the arts can bring to audiences that um that it, has become very difficult for image other image making processes. Yeah. I mean you raised something really interesting there about um when you mentioned the the scrolling height of the Eiffel Tower not being a judgment and I, and I feel like to some degree maybe you reveal something powerful that the arts can do or you know or, or artists can do which is not necessarily make a normative judgment of something but yeah. simply present it and allow the experience that the 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 audience uh, has with it generate a meaning of its own yes and i think it's a highly individual it's a highly individual uh, experience no it's really the question how how does this experience of me stepping into an installation into an exhibition in front of an object how does this object uh, uh, resonate with me no or what inside of me resonates with that object and that becomes a very very personal uh, experience no um the the power of obviously being there with uh, with a community of people or a set of people uh, other visitors is that we have a communal experience of stepping into a different reality that doesn't necessarily tell me this is good or bad no we we have to negotiate this with ourselves and then possibly with others and the other thing that the that the space of the art allows us somehow which which politics doesn't allow us anymore is that we can be in that same space of completely different opinion and we can have a conversation about this and maybe even a very kind of heated conversation about this but a space is not as tribal that if you and I are of completely different opinions we can have a fantastic conversation about this the art space is one of the few that remains that actually allows for a multitude of opinions and a very dynamic discussions around this uh, multiplicity um that maybe at the end of the day leads to a transformation in myself right and this is i think something that the art currently is providing is is um it is uh, it's kind of destroying the hegemony of position and vantage point and access point no it's like it provides us so many different worldviews and so many different possibilities so many different imaginaries that um that there is the possibility to encounter something that i had never considered that i had never expected that i had never imagined and i can say wow this makes complete sense to me as a facilitator of so many works in and around this topic it seemed logical to ask marcus if he could direct listeners to a single body of work to find inspiration and optimism and hope where could he send us what should we see wow that's such a good question i would say john jonas uh, moving off the land too was a was a fantastic work like that um her process anyway no it's research based but it's uh, but then it it uh, is kind of developed through a series of performances and these performances are then worked into uh an installation um her starting point to approach the ocean was um was the questions of what are the stories that we tell ourselves what are the myths uh, surrounding the oceans and then very quickly she came to the question of the mermaid no 
So in in that question and the unfolding of this this idea of the mermaid, then she comes to um, to the whales. No, the whales left the ocean. They came to to shore. They lived on land for a while, and then they decided to go back into the ocean. Right, and and so her the the way that she creates a research a research associations, the way that she kind of creates a um, a web of um of associations and connections and relationships and so on and the way that she gives us the possibility to ins- to to experience this kind of web of of relationship is uh is encouraging it's uplifting it's moving it's uh, it's engaging um and then you have you know you have a very very experienced uh, artist that includes um, uh, the younger generation or a very young generation in her work to actually become this voice of reason or this voice of concern, of alarm, and so on, but also this voice of um, of joy and wonder, right? And so there's so many there's so many layers embedded in that work, and it can it can speak to you in so many levels. I think if if there is one work that um, that I would point people to. It would be it would be that. Our time was coming to an end, but I wanted to give Marcus the chance to bring up any final thoughts or issues that hadn't yet been covered. Did he have anything else to add to this already fascinating conversation? Well, I I would say uh, you know it's like it's one thing to point to one work. Um, the other one is obviously if you have the possibility to come to Venice, if you happen to be in Venice, come visit us at Ocean Space, uh, because that's really where it all starts making sense. Something that sounds abstract right now, um, I think it starts making sense when you encounter the work. There's obviously an ongoing public program that um, that unfolds these, these works and the topics uh, and concerns that are embedded in the works. That's the one thing. On the other hand... Um, and this is a this is maybe a call, right? A call for people to to get in touch and share their thoughts because the question is really uh, how do we become a regenerative organization, right? Uh, I think we're we're touching on some points by our program always being free of charge, always addressing you know local and international communities. We're asking ourselves what is our responsibility as cultural producers addressing these questions in terms of being regenerative with our environment, no, and uh, and then there are there are certain efforts being made uh, that uh, we have a, a representative on our advisory board that it stands in for the voice of the non-humans. So making sure that every action that we take, every every uh, presence that we have in Venice and around, is actually uh, furthering life and not reducing life. That's the one thing. But on the other hand, it's it's really also a question: of Can can ecosystem restoration become part of the public program of a cultural institution? Right? Can we make ecosystem restoration regeneration? Can we make it a cultural activity rather than uh, than a an activity that is mitigating a catastrophe? Right? Can we actually become um, custodians on a cultural level? rather than uh, on a catastrophic level. That's that's my question. And if any of your listeners has a good answer, we'd be so excited to hear about it. Gosh, wasn't that wonderful? But what stuck with you from this conversation? What can you take from it and apply to your own practice? For me, 
it's the need for some appreciation for the fact that I'm primarily a complexity reducer, and that as a result of that, I might tread ever more carefully when generating content on complex topics. This process, perhaps at the cost of time and a seeming inconvenience, might be better navigated in much deeper, more open dialogue with the people who generated the source material, more at least than I've sought in the past. And that this kind of approach might be part of a bigger reconciliation between these actors and the communicators working to translate their output. I also came away with the feeling that Marcus raised many comparable challenges to those that I've discussed with guests representing very different fields. For example, that a much more reflective, critical approach might be valuable when we consider our work in general, as well as the organisations that we, and that work, are associated with. What do we represent? What do we work to proliferate? Are values that contribute to solving the climate crisis embedded in all of that? So, these are the things that I'll be carrying away with me. But how about you? What will you be taking with you into your work? Thanks to Marcus Ryman for sharing his time and insights with the show. It was fantastic. You can find links to TBA21 Academy's website and the Joan Jonas exhibition he mentioned in the show notes. Thanks also to you for listening to Communicating Climate Change. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts, or by subscribing so you never miss out. Remember, each and every episode attempts to add to our toolkit to help us develop the skills and the motivation that we'll need for this essential task. So be sure to stay tuned for more. For anything else, just head over to communicatingclimatechange.com. Until next time, take care.